Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, it's good to see that everyone is able to find their seat this week. I know last week you, you had to move, but you all were very successful in finding your way back to your designated position. So congratulations on that. If you'll please stand with us and we'll worship together.
Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. Our God saves. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Take a moment. Welcome those around you. seat there we go I'm on now all right if you may you return to your seats well good morning great day to be in the house of the Lord and to worship together if this is your first time with us thank you for being here uh, you're our guest and we are delighted to have you uh, if you will please if this is your first or maybe second or third time and you have never filled out uh, the connection card would you please do that this morning that multiple ways you can do that you can scan the little QR code uh, there should be one in the pew, um, but we would just greatly appreciate if you would, uh, would fill that out just so we could know that you're here and it helps me get to know you a little bit better. Let me just point out a couple of announcements. One is tonight we have our Fall Festival Chili Cook-Off. Um, man, I'm excited about that. So pay attention to the times in the bulletin. Awana starts at 4.30. Uh, we got hot dogs and we got chili. Steve, how many people we got entered? Over... Ten. So we have ten different people. So we're going to have plenty of chili, um, and so we're going to have a lot of fun. And then the games are going to start at 5.30. we got a hayride and something about bingo. So I'm excited, to, I'm excited to see how intense you all get with that. So remember, it's all, it's all in the fun. And, hey, we are a big family. And even if you don't have kids, come out tonight and let's hang out as, as the family, as the body of Christ. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, you don't got to stay the whole time if you can't be out that late, but it's going to be a lot of fun, so come, come hang out with us. Uh, the other thing I want to point out um, is our Operation Christmas Child uh, is still going on. We have 200 shoe boxes. My goal is that we fill 200 boxes. I think we got 160, 170 last year. So when you leave in the mornings, if you still see boxes sitting there, that means that we haven't filled them all. So until there are no boxes sitting out there, you need to keep grabbing boxes. If you haven't already grabbed your boxes, do that. They're due the last Sunday in November. Um, and we have a video this morning to check out about that. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Isn't it amazing that through a gift box, God has raised up intercessors and preachers? I believe 
the Lord is reminding us today that even in the midst of this pandemic, we are to look upon the nations, to observe, to be astonished, to wonder, because He is doing something mighty. This calling to serve Jesus in this way uh, is the rallying call. That's the sound of the trumpet, the urgency of this gospel that we get to serve, the urgency that He's calling us to introduce more and more people, more and more children to a, a loving God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Each of you and all of the many volunteers that you represent are the heart and soul and engine driving Operation Christmas Child. During this pandemic, the Lord has continued to encourage and to equip the local church and the body of Christ. The idea that we could have collected more than nine million shoebox gifts around the world in the middle of a pandemic, I believe is miraculous. Samaritan's Purse, Operation Christmas Child volunteers are rallying around the opportunity to share the gospel. We're rallying toward National Collection Week where we seek to send another set of nearly 10 million gospel opportunities around the world. We still have time, we still have opportunity. The Lord has not returned yet. We wanna keep pushing and going forward and doing whatever we can do to reach more, share with more, equip more to share more. When the mountain seems too big, the challenge seems way too big, the goal is way too big. God will go before us and fight our battles. Now it's time. And Jesus said the fields are not white in four months, they're white today. And we wanna, we wanna be faithful to that. And that's the opportunity the Lord has given Samaritan's Purse and, and the Operation Christmas Child Project. Father God, as we gather this morning, what we gather to do matters for all eternity. We just watched a video. Every boy and girl that we saw in that video is a person, a face. Someone, Father, that can hear the good news of Jesus Christ, and if they repent and believe, then they will forever be saved. So what we do this morning matters. As we gather, as we sing, as we worship, as we sit under the preaching of your word, as the choir sings, Father, I pray today that the Spirit of God will move so powerfully that somebody will give their life, their very heart this morning to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and that matters for all eternity. Father, I pray that you would convict us, that you would cause us as believers to repent. As we study your word today, as we look at the Apostle Paul, and as we see this man who suffered and whose focus was to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, God, I pray that you will convict, and may it begin with me. Father, there's a lot that we talk about. There's a lot that we're quick to talk about. Father, we have to be quicker to mention the name of Jesus than we currently do, because it matters for all eternity. So, Father, would you convict us and, and speak to our hearts so that at the end of this service, God, that we, that we are rejuvenated and Lord even maybe Lord there's just repentance that takes place in our life as we put Christ where he needs to be in our hearts and our lives father we love you and we praise you in Jesus name amen if you please stand with us and continue to worship
behind me and all my fears and failures oh fill my life again i give my life to follow and everything i believe in now i Yeah. 
Amen. All right, while the choir makes their way down, we do have children's church this morning, but it's only for our little. So our threes and fours, they're going to make their way out for children's church, our K through second graders. Uh, the last Sunday of the month, they hang out in here with us so they can begin to see what it's like to sit under the preaching of, of God's Word. So parents, make sure you're paying attention with your Bibles opened so they can see what that looks like. All right, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3. We finally made it to chapter 3 this week. Blue and black or white and gold? Some of you remember that. So if you're like, what are you talking about? Um, in 2015, this became the question that for at least a, a, maybe a week, a couple days, right, went viral. What color was the dress, right? All over social media, the, the news stations began to cover it. I mean, it was everywhere. My family and I were, were texting back and forth. And the only reason I remember this is because whenever I use a sermon illustration, I usually keep it. I don't have this good of a memory. Uh, so thankfully, I came across this one uh, this week, and it's good to remember things. So we were texting, my family and I, and my mom responded this way. She says it's white and gold. Now that's debatable, but I couldn't find a great picture online. But uh, she says it's white and gold. But then she said this: "It's a shame Jesus can't get this much attention." Because if you remember, I mean, for a couple days this was everywhere, and this was just a fad. And then the week, next week there was something else, and then now here we are, twenty twenty one, and there's something else that everybody fixates on. But it's a shame Jesus can't get this much attention. Um, ain't that the truth? Well, when we study Ephesians, when we think about the Apostle Paul, for Paul, Jesus did get this much attention. Jesus was Paul's heartbeat and his reason for living. And everywhere Paul went, he preached and he talked about Jesus. So this morning, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. And I want us to, here's what I want us to do. Here's how I want us to look at it. I want us to look at Paul, and I want us to see four things about Paul. Because Paul says, right, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. And so Paul could say, look, I'm imitating Christ, and so, so let's look to Paul. Um, now understand, we're not an apostle, we're not on Paul's level, but I think there's some things that we can take away from, from Paul. And just because we're not apostles doesn't mean God doesn't have a purpose and a mission for our life just as he did Paul's. So before we read this, let me just kind of give you the context when we come to, to chapter 3. So hopefully you got your Bibles open, then we're going to read this together. Look how Paul begins chapter 3, verse 1. He says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Now drop down to verse 14. He says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Every commentary I read this week, every sermon I listened to, they were all in agreement that when Paul begins this section, this new section that's chapter 3 in our English Bibles, Paul is praying. This is a prayer. That becomes clear when you get to verse 14, I bow my knees before the Father. And so Paul begins to pray, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and um, I can relate to Paul because it's as if Paul in his prayer gets distracted. Anybody ever get distracted while you're praying? Right? We know what that's like. Because Paul, as he begins to pray, stops praying, inspired of the Holy Spirit, and he begins to write these words reminding those readers 
of his calling to the Gentiles. And then he picks back up in verse 14 as he finishes out the prayer that he started um, in verse 1. So, so this is a prayer that Paul stops in the middle of, or at the beginning of, and then we're going we're gonna to look at these verses. So if you have uh, a copy of God's Word, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? And then we will pray, and then we'll dive right in. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Father, this morning we have your word in our hands. This is your word. This is the unsearchable riches of Christ. So God, as we open your word, would you take our hearts and our minds that are so prone to wonder And will you help us focus? Will you remove any distractions from our hearts and our minds? Help us to see truth this morning. Father, speak. Spirit of God, move in this place so that we all might see what a mighty Savior we do indeed have in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Four things I want you to notice about the Apostle Paul. Number one, I want you to notice Paul the prisoner. Paul the prisoner. So he begins, for this reason, in light of what he's already said, in chapter 2, Paul, a prisoner. A prisoner. So Paul has been arrested. You studied the last part of the book of Acts. You, you know this story, right? Paul is arrested. He's accused of bringing Gentiles into the temple. The Jews just dislike Paul. We'll talk about why in just a moment. Um, and so he's arrested, and Paul, right, is going before all these different people, and eventually Paul appeal, appeals to Caesar. And so you get to the end of Acts 28, and he's on his way to Rome, where we believe he's writing these letters from house arrest, right, in Rome, writing to those in uh, the Ephesus and the surrounding areas. And so he says, for this reason, I, Paul, and this is interesting, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. We might expect Paul to say he's a prisoner for the Jews because they were the ones that had him arrested, or he's a prisoner of Nero, or he's a prisoner of the Roman Empire because now he's in house arrest uh, in Rome, but that's not what he says. He says, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. See, Paul even recognizes his imprisonment ultimately is the will of God for his life. And so he's a prisoner for Christ. He's suffering for Christ. Then he says this, on behalf of you Gentiles. On behalf of you Gentiles. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 9. This is Paul on, on the road to Damascus, right? As he's approaching Damascus, this is the story of his conversion. Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then these are the words that the Lord speaks to, to Ananias about Saul, whom we know as Paul. He says, go, verse 15, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. 
Right? Paul understands his primary mission is to go to the Gentiles, those who were non-Jewish, who had not really necessarily heard the gospel, didn't have the promises of the Old Testament, to go to them. And then it says this, For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul, in essence, is in prison because he is speaking that a Gentile can be saved apart from becoming Jewish. He no longer has to go to the temple, no longer has to offer up the sacrifices of the Old Testament, no longer has to keep the dietary laws, right? Because now he can be saved in Christ. Well, this angers the Jewish folks. And so they have Paul arrested. So he's saying, I'm suffering for Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. And Paul understands that suffering is part of the Christian life. And he recognizes that even in his suffering, he is under the sovereign will and purpose of God. There is a false gospel. It's really not a gospel. It's not good news at all. But it's false that goes around that's called the health, wealth, prosperity gospel. You name it, you claim it. God wants you to be happy, and he wants you to be wealthy, and he doesn't want you to suffer. And And that kind of gospel, when it is proclaimed in third world countries, impoverished countries, man, they latch onto that because they have nothing. And you're telling me there is a God who can give me all of this? Man, they take hold of it. And you and I need to understand that is not the gospel. That is a false gospel because the New Testament is clear. Suffering is going to be part of the life of following Jesus. So let me ask ask you a question. What happens when your happiness and God's plan and purpose for your life don't line up? What happens? We always say God's not concerned about your happiness. He's concerned about your holiness. I've always said that before. I don't think God is concerned with your happiness, though the fruit of the Spirit is joy. We are to walk in joy, but that joy ultimately comes out of a life of holiness, of walking with Christ and obeying Christ. Then joy flows out of that. And so I don't know if anybody in this room would say, hey, look, part of my plan for happiness is that I would suffer. If you, if you begin to list out what makes you happy, suffering is going to be on the bottom or it's not even going to make the list. So when we talk about being happy, no one would put, would put suffering in there. And yet Paul understands. Paul understands that even in our suffering, God is in control. Hear me. Paul is in prison, but he understands that doesn't thwart the mission of God. Paul is suffering, but he understands that doesn't thwart the mission of God. God can still use him right where he is, and so Paul recognizes, I'm suffering for Christ. On Friday at 11 o'clock, we had a funeral um, in in this very building, and this place was packed. We had a a couple that lives right up Cedar Creek Road on Wednesday, stopped by the church, Um, never met them before, their 29-year-old daughter, uh, beautiful, beautiful young lady, uh, had died of cancer. A three-month battle of cancer, 29 years old. And uh, they are in between churches. She didn't go into a lot of detail, but crying over her daughter dying and then crying over the fact that, in essence, they're homeless when it comes to a church because of some things that happened during the pandemic. And um, she said, look, we, we just don't have anywhere to, to have this. My daughter, the church she attended, they're not allowing more than 50 people in there. Is there any way that, that we can host it here? So I made sure there was nothing on our schedule. Look, this place was packed. This room was filled with people who looked nothing like you and I. Not a one of them. I think there was three people in here that looked like me. This place was packed. Let me tell you, 
in the midst of a funeral of a 29-year-old girl, I went to church. Because Jesus, they believed even in this, Jesus was still good. That he could, they could trust him. And that even as the mom and dad sat there in tears, the mom stood up during one song and just began to praise. Hear me, please, if I die while I'm the pastor of this church, that's what I want my funeral to look like. That's what I want it to look like. Yes, you can weep for me. You may miss me. My family may miss me. They probably will miss me if I die before them. But listen, I know Jesus, and so it's really a time of celebration. And I think that's what Paul can say. I'm suffering for Christ, but he's in control. He's still on the throne. It's not thwarting his mission or his purpose, and so I'm trusting in him. So here's my question for you this morning. Can you say that in your life? If you're in the midst of suffering, can you still say, Jesus, I'm willing to suffer for you? And are we willing, if it comes to that point, to suffer for Christ? To risk imprisonment, to risk the loss of a job, to risk a reputation, not for doing what's wrong. Paul's not in prison because he did what was wrong. He was doing what was right. He was proclaiming the gospel, and he was thrown in jail for it. Are you and I willing to be a prisoner, to suffer for the name and the sake of Jesus Christ? Let us imitate Paul, and let us be willing to do that. Secondly, I want you to notice Paul the steward. Paul the steward. He continues in verse 2, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So God had given, this word stewardship means a message. He'd given him a message. It's really encompassing gospel, salvation. He'd given him this message. Now when we think of stewardship, what does that mean? This will be on the screen. It primarily refers to management of a household, a business, or other concern on behalf of someone else. So you're managing something on behalf of someone else. You don't own it. You're just taking care of it in their absence, or they've given you the power to take care of it. So what Paul's saying here is God had entrusted a message to Paul. God had given a message to Paul. Now, what is this message? Well, let's unpack it quickly. Verse 3, how the mystery... Now, we talked about this several weeks ago. Mystery in, in our day and age is very different than the biblical understanding of mystery. The biblical understanding of mystery is something was hidden, and now it's made known. It's not something we got to figure out. It was hidden, and now God has made, made it known. So how the mystery was made known to me, so God made it known to Paul by revelation. He showed Paul, revealed it to Paul. As I've written briefly, that's referring back to chapter 2, when you read this, verse 4, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So this mystery centers around Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations. They weren't made known of it. It was hidden to them, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. So let me just lay a, a little bit of a foundation here. Graham Goldsworthy, in his book, According to Plan, writes this, to understand the whole living process of redemptive history in the Old Testament, we must recognize two basic truths. So you're reading the Old Testament, trying to understand it. You come to the New Testament, it seems so different what's going on. He says to understand what the Old Testament is doing leading up to the New Testament, you have to understand two basic truths. Number one, the first is this, that salvation history is a process. So God, before the foundation of the world had a plan to save the world, to save people from their sins. So what God does in the Old Testament is He gives us glimpses of His plan. But the details of the plan are hidden. 
We don't know the details. We know certain things, but we don't know all the details. So God is unfolding this plan over time, over years. So, so let me illustrate it this way. Back when I was a youth pastor, we did something called the Great Pumpkin Hunt. It's basically just a big old scavenger hunt. Election in Kentucky broke people up into teams. You had a driver, but instead of a scavenger hunt, they had clues that would lead them to a great pumpkin, which is really just a normal pumpkin, but it was a lot of fun. Now, we all gathered in the parking lot. I had the clues. Did I give each team all 10 clues? If I had done that, what would every team have done? Thrown one, two, they would have thrown one through nine aside. They would have gone to number 10 and they said, okay, let's go find the pumpkin. That would ruin the whole thing. So what happened? It unfolded. You went to clue one, drove across town. Then because I'm nice, I made you drive all the way back across town for clue number two. A lot of driving. And eventually you got to number 10. God could have, when he wrote the Bible, when the Holy Spirit inspired it, he could have laid out everything right at the beginning. But he didn't do that. It's unfolding for us. And so the first thing we have to understand as we read the Bible is God is unfolding his plan of redemption over time. The second thing he says is this. The second basic truth is that this process of redemptive history finds its goal, its focus, and its fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So God has a plan to save the world. He gives us glimpses of that plan in the Old Testament. But the details are hidden until the time He determines to send His Son. And when He sends His Son, the plan of redemption now is made known. And so what is this mystery that was hidden in the Old Testament but is now made known through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, this is important. The mystery is not that God was going to bless Gentile nations. Read the Old Testament. That's clear. It was always God's plan to bless the nations through Israel, through the Jewish people. Write this verse down. I'm not going to read it, but I encourage you to study it later. Romans chapter 15, verses 9 through 12. Romans 15, verses 9 through 12. In those verses, Paul quotes from four Old Testament texts. He quotes from the law, he quotes from the writings, and he quotes from the prophets. The three major divisions of the Old Testament. Four quotes from the Old Testament, all talking about how God was going to show mercy to the Gentile nations. You see this in Jonah. Right? God showed mercy to the Assyrians. They were a Gentile people. So it's there. So what's the mystery? The mystery is that Paul is now making known is that God's plan all along was never to bless the Gentiles by making them Jews. And that's what the Jewish people believed in the Old Testament. That if a Gentile wanted to be blessed by God, he had to abandon his pagan religion. He had to become a Jew. Had to be circumcised if he was a male. Right? Had to follow all the, the, reg, the dietary laws, the ceremonial laws. If you wanted to be under the blessing of God, you had to become a Jew. But that was never God's plan. As he's unfolding it, the reality is God's plan is that he would bless all people in Jesus Christ. That plan is unfolding. God has made that plan clear to Paul. And so how is God going to do this? He's going to create, we talked about it last week, a new society of people, a church. Jew and Gentile come together in Christ. You become part of that family of God by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. So what Paul's saying to them is that Gentiles, 
which is what I am, can now become fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul had been entrusted with the good news of the gospel that all who come to Christ will be saved. Colossians chapter 1, which is a parallel passage in many ways to Ephesians, says this. Colossians 1 verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul had been entrusted with this gospel that Gentiles like you and I can be saved, not by becoming Jewish, but by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul was faithful to preach the gospel that had been entrusted to him. So here's the question for us. Are we being faithful to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ that has been given to you? Are we faithful to point people to the only hope that is in Jesus Christ? I was reading earlier this week in my prayer time, Psalm Psalm 145. Let me read that for you. It says this, verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. One generation shall declare the mighty works of God to the next generation. Question, what happens when one generation fails? to proclaim the mighty acts of God to the next generation? Well, we know what happens because God tells us in His Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Judges. Book of Judges. The, the pastor at Macedonia Baptist Church preached at the fall meeting just a couple weeks ago for the association, and he mentioned these verses in, in Judges chapter 2, it says in verse 8, And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years, and they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath, Hares, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And here's what it says. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. What happens when we fail to commend the works of God to another generation? The Bible's clear. They did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. I think everyone in this room would agree that our country and our nation is not where we want it to be. We can disagree on how we got here. Many people will immediately go to politics, that we're here because of politics, because of the changes in certain laws and the way it's been governed, and certainly there's a role to play there. I don't think there's any question that one section of our political party is going further to the left, moving further from the center, and I would argue the other side, conservatives, many of them are moving in a direction where I'm not thrilled of because I think they're becoming too political. I think just full disclosure, for some of us as Christians, our reaction to moving left is let's become more political. And here's, here's what we can do. We can certainly point the fingers at the world out there and say our country is where she is because of them. I would argue our country is where it is because of me and because of Christians. You study the rise in nuns is growing. Nuns being those who have no religious affiliation. 
in this country is growing. Less and less people have a religious affiliation. Could it be? Could it be? The reason there is a rise in those who say they have no religious affiliation is because we as Christians have stopped telling people about Jesus. Is that really the problem? Because the gospel's spreading like wildfire in China because they're telling people about Jesus. And they're suffering for it, but they don't care. You see, we are, and I'm guilty, pointing at myself. I stood over there and I prayed. God, convict me before you convict anybody else. We're very quick in conversations to go right to our political thoughts, which are important. We're very quick in our conversations to go, my goodness, the Braves are one game away from winning the World Series. Any Braves fans nervous? I feel you. As a Reds-Bengals fan, I'd be terrified if I was you right now because I'm used to heartache, right? We're, we're used to going to, let me tell you about this. Let me tell you what's going on. And one of the last places we go, if we're honest, is, oh yeah, let me tell you about Jesus. When in reality, the first place we should go is, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the gospel. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Let me tell you the only hope is Jesus Christ. And again, I'm not saying politics don't matter. There's an election coming up this week. You need to go vote. There's some important things you need to decide on. right? And, and, and it's very important. What I'm saying is, the real problem is the church has not been faithful to steward the gospel that Paul was faithful to steward. So the question for you is, will you change that? Will you as a mother and a father understand the most important thing you can pass on to your kids is to commend the works of God to them, is to point them to the gospel? Will you understand grandparents? That is the most important thing. Other things are fun and they matter, but the most important thing is Jesus Christ and the gospel. So will we as the church repent of that and begin to say, God, help me, give me the boldness to faithfully steward the gift that Paul was given, that now we have the gospel, help me to faithfully spread the gospel. Am I proclaiming the gospel with my life and with my mouth? Are you proclaiming the gospel with your life and with your mouth? Number three, verse seven. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though, I'm the very least of all the saints. This grace was given. Number three is Paul, the least of all the saints. I don't know about you, but man, when I think of mighty men of the faith, one of the first people I think about is the Apostle Paul. And yet Paul says here, he is the least of all the saints. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. 1 Timothy 1, 15, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the four. Most. See, here's what Paul understands. This will be on the screen. Grace, right? God's grace humbles us. God's grace humbled Paul to where he could say he was the least of all the saints. Look at verse 2. Notice the emphasis on God's grace. Assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace. Verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Grace. Verse 8, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Paul is repetitive on purpose because he understands grace humbles us. As I was sitting in my office studying this week, man, I was just taken back to the Apostle Paul. And, I, and this is speculation because obviously I wasn't there. But here, here is Saul on the road to go persecute more Christians. 
And Jesus appears to him. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, now Saul goes from a man of Jewish belief and faith, opposed to others that were preaching the gospel, throwing them in jail, having them killed, to now he is converted, his life is changed, he takes the name Paul, which means little one, least of these, or little one, and he becomes this man of God. And I just wonder how long Paul struggled with that. That, that he believed with all of his heart he was doing the right thing, and arresting and killing Christians. And now he is one, the leader, if you will, the ringleader, the one out in front of that very faith. And again, this is speculation. I don't know. But I wonder how many people Paul came across who would look him in the eye and say, hey, my dad spent time in jail because of you. My brother's no longer here. He's dead because of you. Like, I wonder how much guilt and shame Paul must have felt. And so Paul, having experienced the grace of God, it always kept him humble. Because he knew he was where he is now simply by the grace of God. But I also want you to notice God's grace empowers. It empowers Paul. It's like, man, how, how could you recover from this? How could you change after this? It's because of God's grace. It empowers him. Look at verse 2. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given. That was given. That's in the passive. That means God gave it. Nothing Paul did to earn it. Verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given God's grace not only humbles us, but it empowers us so that we can continue to serve and minister for Him. This will be on the screen. Paul is aware of his unworthiness and of Christ's overflowing mercy. You and I need to be aware of both of these things. So question, are you aware this morning of your unworthiness? Some of you are. Some of you have forgotten. Some of you need to be humbled this morning. You have found in your heart you've been puffed up, conceited, filled with pride. You're putting stock in, 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 in your hope and what you're doing and what you're accomplishing. Right? You think, man, I've become a pretty good Christian. I've become a really good person. And you have forgotten just how unworthy you really are of that grace. That it's but by the grace of God. Now, some of you this morning, you need to be reminded not of your unworthiness, but of Christ's overflowing mercy, because all you feel is that unworthiness. You have been saved, but yet you still think, how can God use me? How can God forgive me? God can never move beyond this. I can't ever move beyond this. And so what you need to be reminded of is God's overflowing mercy. Church, hear me. If God can forgive Paul, he can and will forgive you. Amen? Like, what have you done that is worse than what Paul has done? It can't be. Because he opposed Jesus. Had people killed and arrested. And then now God has used him. This is what God does. So we have to be aware of our unworthiness. And yet at the same time, so aware of Christ's overflowing mercy. Those two things must always be there for us. You can't live always looking at the past. 
He's forgiven you. Live in the present. But just be mindful that you were unworthy of this grace and be ever mindful of His overflowing mercy. Number four, and lastly, notice Paul the preacher. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. To preach, to declare, to share, to spread the good news. To preach to the Gentiles. Again, that was his primary mission field. The unsearchable. Unsearchable means it can't, it can't be fully comprehended. You will never fully comprehend God's grace while you're in this body. It is infinite. It is inexhaustible. It doesn't run out. The, any, the unsearchable riches of Christ. All that He is and all that He has. All the truths. The entirety of His person and His work. What was the aim of Paul's life? It was to preach Christ. That was the aim. Now you study his letters. He deals with things like marriage. He deals with issues like divorce. He deals with issues like parenting, all that we'll get to. He talks about the words that come out of your mouth. right? He, t- he talks about all of those things. He talks about the government, how we're to pray for our leaders. So I don't think Paul would be anti-political or anti-involved in your government or your, your country. He, he absolutely would be concerned about those things. But what was chief in his life? It was to preach Christ. My aim Sunday after Sunday is simple. It is simply to preach Christ. To preach Him over and over and over in such a way that when you leave here, your first thought is not, man, what a great sermon, but your first thought is, what a great Savior. Man, what a great Savior that we have. Man, that ought to be our desire, is that to live our life in such a way. Man, when I, when I live my life, you all, you all have been so kind and, and gracious to me during this month and, and written so many nice words about me. But listen, when you see me, I don't want you to think, man, what a great man. I want you to think, what a great Savior. What a great Savior that He has that He would love. And I fall short of that so often. The message translation, which I think is helpful at times, it's not a, it's not a primary translation for me, says this about verse 8. This is my life work. Helping people understand and respond to this message. My life work. Our message is simple. Salvation is found only in the crucified, risen, reigning, and soon returning King Jesus. Amen? That's our only hope. That's our message. Jesus was Paul's heartbeat and his reason for living. Everywhere Paul went, he preached and he talked about Jesus. Church, let me call you this morning to repentance as I call myself to repentance. Are we faithfully teaching and preaching and pointing people to the crucified, risen, reigning, and soon returning King Jesus? And if we are not, that is not something that comes up often in our conversations with family and with friends and with coworkers and just out there in life. I'm just going to call you to repentance. You can repent where you are. If you want to come kneel and pray during this last song, just calling you to repentance. Just calling us to be reminded that our only hope is in Jesus 
And one day we will stand before God the Father. And we want to be found faithful stewards of the message that had been entrusted to us. And the other question is, do you know Jesus? Have you come to that moment in your life where the Apostle Paul came, where he realized he was opposing Christ, and now he needed to repent of that and take hold of Christ? Have you come to that moment in your life? And if not, would you give your life to Jesus this morning? Let's pray. Father, as we come to this time of invitation, this song of commitment, this opportunity for us, Lord, just to repent, to pray, to seek your face, Father, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts. Lord, we are, I am, I am prone to wonder. I'm prone to leave, as the writer said, to leave the God I love. So God, first, forgive me. Have mercy on me. Change me, O God. And may I be found a faithful steward, a faithful prisoner in Christ a faithful one to say, I am the least of the saints. And I have been faithful to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, if I cannot say that, then will you forgive me? Have mercy on me, O God. Thank you in advance for the mercy and the grace that you will show and pour out upon your people this morning. So as we sing, O God, may your spirit have, have his way in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to worship together. The, the altar is open. I'll be here at the front if you need to come and pray anyway. You just feel free to come.
Amen, amen. You may be seated for just a minute. In two weeks, we're having our Thanksgiving lunch, and so Ms. Robin's going to come, and I know we got a lot of new faces, and uh, the way we did it last year was different than the way we normally do it. So Ms. Robin is going to come, number two, back there, Philip, and share just a little bit about that, what that's going to look like. It seems like it was just yesterday I did this, so... All right, I'm going to be very quick because we've done this before. I've got a new folks, so just wanted to make sure you had the same, uh, we're all on the same page. Uh, we are going to get to do Thanksgiving like we've done in the past. Last year we had to change things and it worked, but uh, I think everyone will agree that uh, the way we've done it is, is the, the best. Uh, a lot of things are basically the same. Uh, Mr. David is going to be making, cooking our turkeys, so as always, thank you to Mr. David. Miss Rachel is our gravy lady, so I appreciate Miss Rachel. Um, I will need four people to make a big pan of uh, dressing for me. I've got the pans out here in the, in the foyer, so I would appreciate it if you would help with that. Um, the church is going to provide the cranberry sauce, the rolls, and the drinks. The main thing that I will need the congregation for is, like always, the sides. Um, and again, either something cold or hot. Cold is like deviled eggs, fruit, you know, tossed salad, anything like that. Anything, uh, the hot is anything from mac and cheese to green beans to, um, let's see, any kind of casserole. So any kind of side that uh, you would be able to bring, that would be wonderful. Um, just a few things about what you're bringing. As always, uh, we ask for you to be generous uh, because you're helping to uh, feed a lot of folks, so be generous. Um, just remember that there's no room in the, the in the kitchen for any other storage, so whatever you bring needs to be in something that will keep it hot or cold uh, through the time that you're going to be there. Label everything. It gets crazy those last few um, uh, minutes right before we serve, so make sure everything's labeled so you can find it. As always, bring your own spoon, but if you don't, I will not come after you and uh, put a sticker on you that says you didn't uh, follow the rules. Just find a spoon in the kitchen, but it really helps. I know it's ridiculous, but it really helps if you bring your own spoon to take care of that. Um, and if your dish is going to need something to be done to it the last minute, if you will make sure that you take care of that. Uh, if you take care of your one thing, I can take care of the 50 that I have got to take care of. So I really appreciate that. Um, just a few other things. Um, I am going to need some folks to do desserts. I don't need 50 of them, though. So please see me afterwards to make sure that we've got the, enough amount of desserts and we have a good variety. So, that, so just make sure you see me and sign up so that we can um, get that um, coordinated. One of the things that we are going to do, because I realize that there's some folks, we're going to actually be in here in our, the tables like we've done in the past, and some folks are still not comfortable with that, and that is perfectly fine. We are going to leave all these chairs on the very back rows of the church open besides having the tables so that uh, if you're not comfortable uh, sitting across from someone at the table, you can still come to church and be in the, in the chairs in the back. <coughs> if you want to... If you want to still be a part of the meal, uh, what we'll do as we dismiss the seniors, you could go with them. I will have uh, to-go trays that you can uh, use those and go ahead and get yours and uh, take it home with you if that's what you would rather do. The only other thing I request, and this is for me, please, 
is to help clean up afterwards. As you, soon as you see folks starting to get finished, go ahead and get your dish and your spoon and your carrier and all the things that you've got and get it out of the, the uh, fellowship hall so we can go ahead and clean up. There's a lot of work that's going to be need to be done in here, but there's also a lot of work that needs to be done in the fellowship hall to clean up. We've got tables that have got to get cleaned up, things that have to go back to the activity room. We have a Awanas that night, and so we've got to get that all cleaned up. And I have got, and with, along with a lot of other wonderful people that help, we have 25 kids in Sparks on Sunday nights. I need to go home and get a nap before we get back here Sunday night or else there's going to be a lot of people that are going to wish I wasn't here. So please stay and help get that taken care of so that we can get things cleaned out. We can every, get everybody home and get us back for uh, Sunday night. Thank you as always. This is always such a wonderful time of fellowship and Thanksgiving together. And it, it's, it happens because so many people come together. And I know you get tired of me getting up here, but there's a lot of little details we just need to make sure that, that get done so it works properly and there's no confusion. So thank you in advance. And again, I'll be in the back. If you want to do dressing or dessert, find me and we'll get it taken care of. Thank you all. To uh, avoid confusion, which we already have, uh, David and I decided the other day that the morning when we're done eating, we're going to clean up the fellowship hall, but we're not doing anything in the sanctuary till after Awana starts. So our youth, you all are going to be the ones that are going to primarily put this room back together on that Sunday night. So uh, and any adults who do not serve in Awana, while that's going on, if you come to Bible study, you can be in here helping us get this area clean. Let me give you an update uh, on Mr. Curtis. Curtis went to the doctor on Thursday, got really good reports, uh, still is improving. This week he'll begin a lot of his therapies that will be taking place in home. Um, and still, still no timetable, still recovering, but things are going in the right direction. No setbacks, so uh, praise the Lord for that. Um, and let me just say a special thank you to Brian, uh, who's taken on a lot more responsibilities. Um, and uh, Curtis and Ann's absence, they're eager to get back, um, and so just continue to pray for them. And uh, as if Brian doesn't have enough, he's also deacon of the week. So come on, brother. Come, uh, come and close us out with a word of prayer. All right, if you'll stand, let's be dismissed with prayer. Let's pray. <clears throat> dear God, we just uh, pause and just thank you for your mercy and grace, uh, dear God, as, as we're reminded in the, the sermon this morning. Um, dear God, we should be uh, so eager to, to serve you and, and to uh, just follow you and, and to be a prisoner like Paul was because of the, the mercy and grace that you've uh, bestowed on us um, who are really ungrateful or undeserving uh, of any of it. Uh, and sometimes we are ungrateful and sometimes we do. Um, oftentimes our hearts wander, we focus on ourselves, um, dear God, rather than um, uh, sharing about you. So we pray that our, our lives um, serve as uh, worship uh, for you and a testimony to you, but dear God, also uh, that our mouths and our words, um, as we speak to others, uh, glorify you and draw others to you. We pray that you'll be with this afternoon and evening's events, dear God, as, um, as the church and the community gathers here uh, on this campus. We pray that you'll be glorified, dear God, and it's an opportunity uh, for us to share your love with others. We pray that we, uh, we take that opportunity and make the most of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.